0: Good evening, Internet Wanderers. Welcome back to another episode of Real Psych. I am Dr. J.D. Barton. I am a licensed clinical psychologist.
2: And I am Dr. Joanna Witkin, and I am a cognitive neuroscientist.
0: Real Psych is your favorite podcast where we give our completely unnecessary professional opinions on the lives, minds, and relationships in all of your favorite movies.
2: Hmm, J.D., will there be learning?
0: Oh, my dog says yes.
2: <laughs> will there be science? Uh huh. Will there be delightfully informal conceptualizations about the minds of non real people from two best friends who would be talking about this anyways? Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Woo, we're back. We are back. Uh, little dog barking in the background. Sorry about that, y'all. Here's the thing this is how nature works, it and is. it's healing. It
2: is. This is raw. This is life. This is reality. This is. Uh- also notably podcasters they're just like you
0: they're just like (laughs) you and also my dog was that one's my dog there's two dogs in my yard Mm -hmm. that one's mine and she was not barking before we started recording yeah she could sense so she does not like wellness mental health
1: right
0: hates movies actually that's not true she likes watching movies like she'll stare at the tv screen and just watch it's so funny like in a very like she doesn't bark at it she doesn't. She's very interested in horses on film. Okay. She's a, my little baby's a horse girl, <laughs> and uh, we love that for her.
2: I love it. Loved we love it. that for her. Yeah.
0: Uh, how was your vacation?
2: How is my vacation <laughs> that I haven't <laughs> taken yet?
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. We are pre-taping this as we are currently on the eve of Dr. Joanna Whitkin's birth day.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think giving ourselves. Uh, two weeks to watch this movie, right? Uh, like right before I'm about to take a vacation, is the right move. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, is
0: it gonna take you two weeks to watch Too Fast, Too Furious? <laughs> <laughs> I'm really proud of that wordplay.
2: <laughs> I'm really proud of it. It just came to oh me. Oh my god, are you a genius?
0: I'm a doctor. <laughs>
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's some pressure now, though, that we've disclosed. We have two weeks that the research can going to have to be real good.
0: Nah. <laughs> nah. Just like all of our episodes, the research is going to be what it's going to be, and we're really just going to look into what we think is interesting that's somehow related to the topic, and we're going to talk about that.
2: Yeah, and sometimes, like, not even that related, but, like, maybe made us think of a thing that made us think of another thing.
0: Yeah, last week I started talking about nationalistic narcissism. Let that it. was fun for me.
2: <laughs> that was fun for everyone, I think.
0: You know, I'm, I'm happy to do anything in this podcast which shows us that you and I are not the problem.
2: Yeah, no, you know? I love that for us.
0: Let's distance ourselves because you know what? I'm tired.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired.
0: <laughs> tired. Listen, I just I just got off work. And you know, today was a whole day.
2: It's a Monday. Let's just let's just say oh, the day of the week. Right. It's a Monday. And just like Garfield, it. F- I hate Mondays. <laughs> and I love lasagna.
0: And I love lasagna. But actually, that's true. Although I t- I actually don't really hate Mondays.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's just like a lot. There's a lot, especially if you had like a a, a full weekend like I did and then it's like. Yeah,
0: exactly. That's why I was, you know what I hate is like Sundays at 11 p.m. The worst. (laughs) That's, that's what I hate. And it's not even Sunday scaries. It's actually just the thing of like, oh, bye, fun.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, (laughs) I literally last night was freaking out and updating my to-do list and falling asleep while updating my to-do list in bed. Which I think is just the most Sunday thing that's ever Sundayed, so. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I did the thing where I I woke up extra early this morning because I had to do some things before work. Like, I had to go to a doctor's appointment. Mm -hmm. And so I woke up, my brain was like, we should wake up at five
1: instead.
0: And I was like, no, but don't, but don't. (laughs) And then I tried to go back to sleep and my brain kept being like, but it's 545. What do
2: you think Wordle is today?
0: (laughs) Yeah, but what about now? And so, yeah. Love it. Anyways, y'all, look how relatable we are. Yeah. You know what? Doctors, they're just like us, cause they are us. <laughs> they
2: are
0: us. Do you want to get into this movie? Yeah, let's
2: get into it. I'm excited. I am in the dark about what this movie is.
0: You are in the dark. Okay. So this movie actually has three taglines. Okay. I'm gonna start with the the hardest, okay. and then move up to the easy. Because
2: I think I'm really bad at this. I've been reflecting on <laughs> the, the episodes we've done, and I don't think I ever get it.
0: Okay, great. Do you, we should check that. Yeah. You know what? Least, we'll have definitely our,
2: not on the first try.
0: We'll have one of our producers go through the archives.
2: Yeah.
0: And check and see. All right. This is from 2010. Okay. The first tagline is "Let's not and say we did."
2: Oh. That sounds familiar. Let's not, and say we, oh, is it a rom-com? It is. <sighs> uh, oh, dang. Okay, No, I need the second one. Okay. The
0: second one, a comedy about a good girl, a small favor, and a big rumor.
2: Is it a, um, Jennifer Aniston? No,
0: no, no um, rumor has yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Nope, not that.
2: Uh, 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 a rumor. I'm gonna feel so stupid. I know that I know this, and I you totally I'm know this. You totally upset. know it. Like, even and what's, that first tagline, I the humiliating I've seen thing it. is
0: the audience knows it too. Know.
2: Well, that's yeah. Why did we They've do this got, format?
0: <laughs> we did this format just to make us <laughs>
2: feel one of us, you us know, feel to stupid. Us, yeah, to totally, humble us. Totally. Uh, the
0: rest of the podcast is about us knowing stuff. We might as well start with something we don't know. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's rumor. She's a good girl.
0: All right, you want the third one?
2: Yeah.
0: The rumor-filled, totally false account of how I ruined my flawless reputation.
2: What? <laughs> I'm going to be so mad. You're going to be
0: so mad. So this is a modern retelling of a classic novel. Okay. But with a very, like, modern spin.
2: Uh-huh.
0: It's a high school setting.
2: Is it a Shakespearean thing? No. Okay. There's a lot of those.
0: No. North American. North American. North American classic lit. Okay. And there's not a lot of it.
2: Yeah. Why am I... Oh, my God. Why am I blanking?
0: I'm... I can't... If I start to tell you who's in it, it you're going to immediately know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's in high school.
2: (sighs) Reputation. Good Incredible
0: performances. Cast as star studded. 2010? 2010.
2: That's, like, a little bit past... What like my favorite high school rom com? Well,
0: you are now an official adult. You're out of college. Yeah.
2: And I you and know, I, I hung up my rom com jacket.
0: This this is the first starring vehicle for the actress who plays the lead. And she has since become one of the biggest stars in Hollywood.
2: Is it easy A? Yes oh. it is! <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm really mad. I absolutely love this movie. It's
0: it's incredible. It's,
2: it's fantastic.
0: I, there's so much to talk about with this film. Yes. I'm so excited. I, you know, especially after Call Me By Your Name, I walked away from it being like, we spent this whole time basically only talking about like male sexuality mm-hmm. and masculine mm-hmm. sexuality. And this whole film is about female sexuality. Oh, and I love it. I love it. Yeah. I'm really excited this is gonna be it's amazing on hbl max so like audience feel free to pause and watch the whole movie right now and then start up again and, or you know what just listen to all of our podcasts over again
2: watch every single movie oh my god i'm so excited i have seen this movie so many times
0: i have seen this movie so many times i, I can quote it i i almost gave it just started like from <laughs> from memory quoting i mean all every sorts of all things.
2: of the ones that come to mind is like stanley tucci's Every single line that
0: he has. Right. It's so funny. What is the Amanda Bynes line? Uh well, lucky for me, I am in close personal contact with a much higher power. She goes, Tom Cruise. <laughs> and she's like, you know what? For your sake, I hope God has a sense of humor. Oh, I have 17 years of anecdotal proof that he does. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh God. <laughs>
0: It is such a good movie. Stanley Tucci, Patricia Clarkson.
2: I mean, everyone uh, is just Lisa gold. Kudrow,
0: Thomas Hayden Church, Emma, Penn Emma Stone, Penn Badgley, Ali Michalka. Uh, love
2: her. Amanda
0: Bynes. Yep. Uh, just everybody. Everybody who's anybody. Ugh. Sigourney Weaver, Pink, Ellen DeGeneres, Tom Hanks. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sam Rockwell. No, he's not uh, in this.
2: Natasha Bedingfield. Most excellent <laughs> use of her song ever.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, totally. I thought you were just listing no, celebrities. No. Now you're full right. Of sunshine. Got a pocket full of sunshine. That yeah. is like so such
2: this... a meme or a gift that everybody uses all the time. Yeah.
0: So this movie is uh, a, just a treat. If you haven't seen it, it's on HBO Max. It really is the first movie that Amanda, uh, Amanda, that uh, Emma Stone starred in. Starred in, um, right?
2: Yeah, she was like in Super Bad as a supporting yeah. role. That was the first thing she did, and then this. And
0: then she did some some smaller other like she did Zombieland right around this. Right. She did a few other movies around this time, but this was her. She is the lead yeah, of this yeah. film,
2: and just um, crushes and it.
0: Crushes it. Yeah, she is so good in this movie. Um. And yeah, she's unbelievable. I, I watched all the special features on the DVD when it first came out because I loved it so much. And uh, the director, Will Gluck, said that, um, that Emma Stone showed up day one to set with the entire script memorized. Like she showed up fully off book, ready to star in this film. Incredible. And she's so good in it.
2: I love it. That's, I she's mean, so good yeah, in it. That's incredible. I'm so excited.
0: I'm so excited. I can hear everybody at home so excited. They're yeah. driving to work and they're excited and they're going to imagine. And I'm not going to quote every single line back to them. But if you haven't seen this movie, watch it. If you have seen this movie, keep listening. We're going to explain what happens. But it's a rom-com. Like, you yeah. you know what happens. It's going to be you fun. You know what happens. It's going to be fun. It's real fun. Keep listening to this one. We will be right back. Right back.
1: Bye. <laughs> Bye.
2: We're back. We are
0: back. It's been a minute, y'all. We took a two-week break in between when we recorded that intro and just now.
2: We did, and I watched this movie immediately after we recorded the intro last (laughs) time because I was so excited, Um, and I love that. I
0: love that. In true me form, I watched it this morning. (laughs) I do well with procrastination, y'all. Not in spite of procrastination. It works great for me.
2: Um, uh, I just love this movie. I've seen it so many times, but and you know, it, like what you were saying before, it's rooted in classic like American literature. They're very yeah. really, like puritanical themes and yeah. uh, that are honestly specific to American like very very American of, of sexuality and yeah. Uh, especially among women and teenage girls at the top of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I I just I just love this movie because there's like some, some heavy things we can dive into.
0: There's some really heavy things. But it's things. also
2: hilarious and It's um, so
0: funny. It's so well acted. It's so well written. I will say, I haven't seen this movie in a few years and I watching this through the lens, I once again a real theme that we're going to see, there is not a single significant person of color in this film. Totally. Not one. Uh, also, some pretty intense fat phobia that I didn't realize was there because, of course, that's how privilege works. That is how like blindness works, where they really like have some like very like like truly anti-fat comments in I mean, this that are
2: yeah. It just seems like the uh, unacceptable white thin. I mean, is are there any? Well, yeah, there's the the friend that's a gay character, but that's it. That's who's population. played by a straight man, right? And it's um you know how specific, I feel about that. It's a very specific plot device.
0: It's a very specific plot device. Um I actually I remember watching this, you know, when it came out. I was not particularly bothered by the the representation of queerness. Sure. There are a few moments of like mm, eh, yeah. not my favorite. Yeah. A few like a few gay jokes that are a little bit like it's okay because no one's around. Right, kind of gay right, jokes right. where I'm like, nah. But uh mainly the the just lack of people of color in non-token roles and the uh, fat phobia, which I just want to name. Uh, yeah. Because as we're doing these things and we're trying to do better, it's a great film and it's it's not perfect. Yeah. Um, but an incredibly feminist film. I
2: love it, uh, yeah. And uh so funny. There's so many quotable things. I have like pockets so full of sunshine things. stuck in my head.
0: Yeah. So let's let's synopsize this yes. for everybody. It's on HBO Max if you want to watch it and I think you should. Um so Olive Pendergast, great name. Love it. uh is talking with her best friend and is trying to avoid doing a camping trip with her and her family and she lies and says she has a date which she does not. Mm-hmm. Uh Monday comes around after the, you know, the pseudo date. And her friend, because her friend is sort of incorrigible and scrappy and silly, played by Ali Michalka, says, you totally lost your virginity to him. And for one minute... This main character, played beautifully by Emma Stone in her first leading role, says that she's never felt like she had an advantage on this friend. She's never felt like her friend really like was impressed by her or yeah. looked up to her. And
2: that that taste of it was compelling
0: that taste of it was compelling and she happens to tell her and make up a story about how she pretend lost her virginity which is fairly low stakes it's a low stakes kind of lie mm-hmm. in that moment mm-hmm. and is of course overheard by the most christian girl in school who's sort of the queen bee of the of the christian kids played brilliantly by amanda bynes
1: Ugh.
0: uh she is in a in a stall in the bathroom comes out of the cubicle and very judgmentally you know, lets her know that she hears a couple of admitted whores talking (laughs) about their indecency. And so that rumor then spreads through the school like wildfire. Um, She uh, then while talking with a gay kid, who's continuously being bullied at school for being gay. uh, He asks her if she's willing to pretend to have sex with him.
2: Right. So that she, she confides in him that this is actually a lie,
0: that this is a lie. Yeah. Yeah, that's right, and uh, and she he asks her, Hey, will you do another lie because it could really save me? Yeah, here it could really help, and she decides out of the goodness of her heart to do so, which of course they stage this big faux sex thing at a party at most popular girl Melody Vossick, <laughs> and. Uh, And, you know, once again now, like, not only is the rumor, like, they're cranking the rumor mill now. And she then starts to be approached by more guys asking if they can say that they have had sex with her in exchange for (laughs) gift cards. (laughs) So she's essentially taking money for pretend sex. Yes. But not actually having sex with anyone. Right. And as the rumor mill starts to crank out, she starts to get more and more angry with the way that people are treating her mm-hmm. based on this. So she decides, instead of backing away and saying it's false, to really lean in, put the pedal to the metal. She starts wearing lingerie yeah. to
2: school. Yeah.
0: Uh, and, and actually sews a scarlet letter A to her chest. Um, of course, they're reading the scarlet letter in school. Right. Uh, things get bigger and bigger and bigger and really start to get out of hand to the extent where she actually ends up now... Uh, being framed for having given a student chlamydia when the person who gave that student chlamydia was the guidance counselor. Mm -hmm. And the guidance counselor breaks down and she offers to take the fall for this because she knows that this will ruin the guidance counselor's marriage. And of course, the guidance counselor, played incredibly by Lisa Kudrow, is married to her favorite teacher. Right. Uh, Thomas Hayden Church Mm -hmm. that's his name yep also played brilliantly by Thomas Hayden Church and so as this really starts to spin out and things really uh, the the moment that she sort of hits rock bottom is when a a guy uh, tries to actually thinks that he gets to have sex with her because he gave her a Home Depot gift card right
2: Right. he wasn't he seems he's like kind of popular or something like he seems he's He's not privy to the the deal that many of these unpopular boys had with her.
0: Yeah, although, yeah, he seems not privy to it. And so then the rumor is really just that she's being paid for sex
2: yeah.
0: at her high school. And so throughout the film, she's been doing these little video diaries. And you discover at the very end that, in fact, what she really d- chooses to do is essentially do a live stream for her whole school to watch where she tells the story of everything that happened and, and sort of, like, airs the entire truth. Uh, and is then, of course, picked up at the end of this by Dream Boy, who's present throughout it, Penn Badgley, mm-hmm. who is just a total sweetheart, playing with all of the John Hughes tropes. If you love Sixteen Candles, if you love The Breakfast Club, if you love Pretty and Pink, if you love all of these movies, which I do love so much. Uh, cut to a future episode where we will absolutely be doing The Breakfast Club one day. <laughs> um, it's so good. But uh, so she... Sort of rights all the wrongs by airing all of the truth mm-hmm. in all of the lies that have been sort of spinning out underneath her, um, y'all. And we this is like this movie is incredibly funny. It's incredibly smart. The acting is unbelievable. The parents,
2: Stanley Tucci, right? Her parents, and right, her parents are
0: are Stanley Tucci and Patricia Clarkson. They're so charming and funny. They're the parents that I want to be one I day. I mean, yeah,
2: like they are very uh, supportive and respectful of her like agency and also seem to be like open enough to talk to her about sex. Like this is something that, um, you know, looking into the literature and stuff, uh, is not always the case is often not the case is not kind of in line with the puritanical, uh, like Christian based, uh, you know, popularity at that school with Amanda Bynes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's kind of interesting. Like, kind of a foil that she has these really supportive parents,
0: really supportive parents, um, who are very open, very honest, and that's sort of the thing too. Is like, it actually is about the ways in which like her, like agency is sort of taken away from her, mm-hmm. and she reclaims it. But her parents have always held it there for her. Yeah. Um, so let's get into it.
2: Yeah, yeah, um, I
0: went real broad for the first sort of thing that I looked at. Uh, and I just thought, like, one thing we really haven't spent any time yet talking about is just the straight-up, like, psychology of lying. hmm And what that means. Because this whole movie is about lies. Yep. Uh, so let me break down what, what we know about lying in psychology. Just a few sort of basic things. Uh, obviously, a lie... Uh, requires two parties right the deceiver and the deceived uh and so what's one of the important things to keep in mind with a lie is that um the deceived has to participate in this lie Mm -hmm. at least on some level um otherwise it's sort of like a, a harmless thing where it doesn't it has to at least be believed um and so this is either through um the the Essentially, it has to involve, like, apathy, ignorance, bias, overconfidence, um, all of these things, right? They have to participate in some in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, humans are gullible, obviously, in a lot of ways. And we tend to believe that other people are telling the truth, right? Yes. And we get super overwhelmed uh, and then irrationally convinced by emotional arguments and displays. So what we see in this movie, right, is that she – the this is such a highly – Uh, incendiary lie that it really takes off and people believe it to be true. Mm -hmm. And this is really consistent with psychology. So what we know is that like allegations of a crime laden with heavy emotion are more likely to be believed irrespective of facts and evidence. Think about the way in which we see our world playing out right now. Irrespective of facts and evidence, we see that lies are... um, are there and these kinds of factors increase overall gullibility?
2: I mean, yeah, and them being salacious and negative, right? Like yes, the lies yes. about you know all the news is negative, right?
0: Yes, it being and I mean, it's one of those things
2: that's uh, you know sexuality, sexual promiscuity, yes, being looked down upon only uh, promotes its you know propagation oh, throughout the school it, even more. It makes
0: it spread faster. Yeah. And it makes it more interesting. We want to believe this scandalous truth. Yes. It's so much more interesting. I mean, I remember like uh, there was, they, they played this up in uh, Mean Girls yeah. where um, there was a, like Don Schweitzer and they're like, made out with a hot dog. Fun fact, it was initially masturbated with a right. hot dog. And if you can read lips, you see that it says she masturbated with a hot dog. And then they did a voiceover where it says made out, mm-hmm. uh, but they cleaned it up. Uh, we had that rumor with a girl in my high school that she masturbated with a hot dog and yada, 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 and had to like go to the hospital or something to like have it removed, which again is so stupid. But I remember being like, that's totally true. And I'm not even gonna say that person's name because I don't know if they listen to this. I'm sure they don't. I actually have no communication with that person, but I didn't know her.
2: <laughs> right. But I knew this about you know her, right? About I knew. about her.
0: I knew it about her. So um, one, of the, one of the things that I love about this film is that it talks about a specific kind of lying. Um, so, so lying, of course, can involve like a complete deception, a half-truth, an exaggeration, or a pertinent omission, um, obviously, right? So there are lots of ways you can lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can lie by just a straight up, this is not it. You can lead with sort of these half-truths, which is what a lot of media, this is what like a news article or what uh, a lot of times like a good headline will do, mm-hmm. right? Half-truths, exaggerations, all there. And then really pertinent omissions, right? Right. Um, but one of the things that I think is really interesting is there are two kinds of lies. There are antisocial lies that are selfish, and then there are pro social lies,
1: mm.
0: which are de- designed to benefit other people, right? Yeah. So, yeah. like little white here, lies. Little white lies, right? Do these genes make me look fat? Exactly. Right? Which, again, gross, fat phobic, all sorts of things. Um, And I think an interesting thing about lying is, um, you know, when someone says I I find the truth to be a really interesting thing because it's so subjective. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, like, I think there are a lot of ways to tell the absolute truth in a half truth, in an omission, in an exaggeration that is not a complete deception. Right. Which is sort of what you see with um, with Olive in most of these. She doesn't actually lend the lie. Right. Uh, it with with you know one exception. It's so much that she chooses not to deny them. So these these boys are allowed to go around mm-hmm. lying about her, and she will she agrees not to. And so when when like uh, her best friend calls her at one point, she goes, "Is it true that you like yada yada yada?" And she goes, "Is that what people are saying?" Right. And she says, yeah, right? So um, it's really interesting and she chooses to do so in a way that is what we would call like pro-social. Very similar to the ways we've talked about like antisocial personality sort of, all those things, right? Pro-social, meaning goes along to benefit other people. And one of the last sort of lie concepts that I really wanted to look at was just one brief study um, that is actually, when I say it's one brief study, so um, a meta-analysis, which for those who uh, aren't deep into, into research. Meta-analyses are these really interesting thing where people take all the other published information and they synthesize it together and actually run statistics on it. And so there's quite a bit of research out there that has been looking into the detection of lies and who can like how to, right? There's all of these like interrogation techniques. Right. There's all of these, like Freud had a whole bunch of things about like the ways, the face shapes and like, or not Freud, Darwin. Darwin had like the the, the um, facial um, expressions of primates mm-hmm. and how to detect lying and things like that. Um, but what's really interesting is that to date, there is absolutely no technique or piece of technology, including a polygraph test, right. that is capable of reliably determining whether someone is telling a lie. And that the scientific research actually demonstrates that most people do not detect lies with greater accuracy than than they would by chance mm-hmm. or a coin toss. Mm-hmm. And that so-called experts in deception uh, are only slightly better. So what we've really got is this like weird world in which all these pseudoscientific techniques are persisting because people just continue to say that they're real. And so all of these things are sort of like blowing around in this like weird political wind.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I think that I'm interested in in that study, like how they accounted for if you believe your own lie or if you don't, if you, if you are purposely, if you are, you know, intentionally lying, um, The whole thing about a polygraph test is that it's like biometrics, right? So it's sensing some differences in your physiology. And uh, if you are lying, your uh, heart rate might increase or you might have greater skin conductance or something. That might suggest you are uh, aware that you are doing something that is wrong, that's morally wrong. Or right. doing something that has a risk of backfiring on you. There's like this all like cost-benefit analysis of whether a person lies or not. What are they getting from it? What are they uh, risking right. by doing it? So right. there's all of these uh, kind of factors that might influence their physiology. Um, but if someone a is like doesn't have a great sense of right or wrong, or Correct. believes the lie themselves, um, yeah, ha- self-deception, or thinks their
0: way. Through the lie, right? So go back to that, like, do these genes make me look fat yep. question? You can say no, because mentally what you're doing is the gymnastics to say, no, those genes don't make you look fat. Your ass makes you look fat, right? And like, so it's one they're part. saying, right? They're saying just no. Yeah. Those genes don't make you, right? So now you're not, and again.
2: I mean, uh, yeah, there's like, all of these psychological techniques and self-regulation techniques that people can do that would, prevent them from having any kind of physiological response to Absolutely. lying. And that's what the point is. And that's why these polygraph mm-hmm. tests are completely like unreliable.
0: Totally. They're so sensational. They're, they're like a really fun um, sort of pseudoscientific like snake oil. I mean, it's like I will serum. say like
2: I would uh, the polygraph test would work on me 100% of the time. I'm a bad liar. I don't liar. know. You're
0: so anxious that you might actually <laughs> like spike my baseline, on every question. Yeah, my,
2: my baseline might be the same.
0: Your baseline, you might spike more. Yeah. I, even just knowing, like, did you kill so-and-so? <laughs> no. Like, just like, <laughs> no, I really didn't.
2: I do feel like when I'm lying, I do feel like in my body, my heart rate increase and my feeling, just dis- like, discomfort.
0: Yeah.
1: I can Absolutely. feel it. Like- Absolutely. Um, absolutely but
2: that's not true for everyone you know like there's and so because people are different and because they use different strategies to lie or justify their lie um, yeah there's really no reliable technique that's going to work across everybody
0: reliability (laughs) uh yeah absolutely it's so It's so weird, right? Like our, and we do lie. I love how you said if they believe the lie, right? So it oftentimes, like people can, you know, be high on their own supply of their lie. Oh, totally. And really start to integrate the lie into their own narrative.
2: Yeah. Perception is reality. And if they alter the way they perceive reality, that's going to feel true to them.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean look at I, I actually think most of the time somebody like Donald Trump would pass a lie detector test. Oh,
2: absolutely. Yeah.
0: Because he really chooses to believe what he's saying. Yeah. I think he throws out evidence that does not support what he believes to the degree that he, yeah, he absolutely uh would, would probably in his own mind consider a lot of his lying to be pro social. Yeah. I'm going to hide this part of the truth because I ultimately should be able to make these decisions for other people. Therefore, my lying is a pro social thing in his own mind. I mean, I would view his lying as an antisocial behavior.
2: Sure. And, and, you know, someone who's lying at that level, I feel like it's just, it's an automated uh, rationalization in their mind, right? Like it's not a conscious thing that he's doing um, because it's been so habitual. But the other thing I wanted to say is when you were saying, uh, Olive's uh, lies are pro-social because they are benefiting these other boys in the school, which is true. But it's, I think it's also in her self-interest with um, that initial lie of feeling right. social uh, right. dominance, right? Um, and I don't know if you're done with the lying thing, but it kind of goes into some yeah. of the research yeah, yeah, yeah. that I've done. please, um, Which is namely that uh being sexually active is generally associated with popularity. Um, I've always thought so. <laughs> and this is true across uh, men and like boys and girls, adolescent boys and girls. Uh, but a greater number of sexual partners is actually negatively related to popularity. So there's this kind of like, you think about it as a binary <laughs> variable of just like, oh. There's a
0: point of diminishing returns. Uh,
2: and not only diminished. I mean, it's like negative, uh, you know, it right. kind of turns on you. So Don't
0: be prude, but don't be a slut.
2: Yeah. I mean, so that's that's kind of... No, I'm uh, giving you that advice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, uh, you know, I looked in some studies specifically in adolescence because it's a really interesting age where, you know, there's like, um, what do they call it? The maturity gap. There's uh, mm-hmm. biological maturity, but not emotional maturity. Um, mm-hmm. There's also the uh, interest in romantic relationships that make right. them more acutely aware of how they are per- perceived by those they mm-hmm. want uh, mm-hmm. to feel attractive to. Um, and when we're talking about you know, heterosexual uh, and binary gender norms, uh you know there's there's the girls who want to feel physically attractive because that is kind of the social currency and how men uh or boys uh place uh you know Uh, well
0: boys and men unfortunately yeah well that's a whole other
2: thing um big yuck value uh these these girls these women um and i thought that it's really rooted in gender norms it's really rooted in what is uh uh, perceived to be attractive not just Mm -hmm. you know not just kind of genetic uh facial symmetry and just being attractive but there's a lot of other uh you know there's beauty industries there's mass media i mean there's so right. I so mean, much yeah. uh
1: being Capitalism. Kind of, yeah
2: shoved down our throats <laughs> about what is yeah. attractive and so um so th- that's that made me think about olive's choice in lingerie is a very on the nose like oh, this yeah. is what is sexy
0: this is sex. This is sex. The heels.
2: Yep, the heels. The the sunglasses. The I mean, she's wearing more makeup. Like she dives headfirst into these these heteronormative gender norms and right um, is like really trying to 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 embody that completely. Whether she's mm-hmm. doing that out of spite, as we were talking about, or because she's getting caught up in this lie, I, I don't know. But um, that is something that she, her her, like wardrobe changes yeah. in a very yeah. specific way. Um,
0: Although she starts out wearing like five inch wedges and I'm like to high school. That's true. That's true. You got I mean, that outdoor high school girl. <laughs> that's an outdoor school. It's She's like, outdoor school. like running around across a campus. Yeah. Sorry. I digress.
2: Um but yeah, so I looked at, at how adolescent boys and girls were, uh, you know, sexual activity related to popularity, but also likability, because popularity Ooh. and likability are not always not the, the same. same thing. Not the same. Um, and I actually discovered this whole, like, uh, area of research where they look at kind of uh, measures of social networks, and they go to a school, and they take, like, a, a you know big population of students, and they have them all... Uh, ask them like who who is your best friend or who is the people that you like spending time with the most, and that points to likability.
1: Likability, yeah. They
2: also ask them who is the most popular person in in your grade or in your you know in right. this population, and so they can actually create nodes and networks of how many people received popularity votes, how many people received uh you know wanting to spend time with them votes, and they can get an actual measure of their social status, as well as their likability. So reputation versus likability. Um, Dang. Yeah, which I was like, and I've...
0: Thank I, God they didn't do that at my high school. Oh my God, I know. I, right? Actually, they did. It's called homecoming.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's called all of the school dances. <laughs>
0: it's actually called all of school. Never mind. Never it's mind. It's called school, and just, I went to it. This is and just us. I, as- I also won, so I did fine.
2: Aw, I love that. Uh,
0: well, <laughs> it's, it's fine. But I was, I actually think, I now I'm just bragging about the fact that I was actually because I'm from Michigan it was called snow coming because it was in the winter hilarious but I was snow coming king but I think I actually won it because I was likable not because I was popular very
2: interesting and and that's yeah uh, yeah that that's there are different things um, yeah but so yeah. when we look at uh, sexual activity related to popular and likability uh, as a function of of split by Uh, Boys and girls, right? So not kind of Mm -hmm. across all boys and girls. Yeah. Um, So greater numbers of sexual partners are positively correlated with boys' peer acceptance. um, And uh, greater numbers of sexual partners are negatively correlated with girls' peer acceptance, of course. Um, Very interesting Mm -hmm. thing, though, here about socioeconomic status that actually moderated the effect in boys, um, which is that... uh, Boys with more sexual partners from disadvantaged backgrounds uh, were predicted to have more friendships than uh, boys from advantaged backgrounds that had more uh, sexual partners. Um, Wow. And I was thinking about that. This is kind of a Yeah, why is that? I was thinking about it is when you uh, are talking about social dominance and social currency, it's going to be more salient in an environment where there is just low social currency in general whereas Mm -hmm. like in an environment where resources are abundant you can show status through wealth through you know all of these different kind of things uh, in these more advantaged privileged environments or schools Mm -hmm. it may there may be other uh, avenues to friendship or status whereas if you're in you know there's not a lot of resources to, to to try and assert social dominance that is one women way Women are
0: seen as a resource exactly
2: women are seen as Oof. social currency yeah so that was my theory about it but
0: i like that i think that yeah that makes sense
2: yeah um yeah so it's 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 really interesting like sexual activity was actually re- uh, associated with peer perceived popularity so this reputation but it Pure wasn't associated popularity. with likability Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that makes sense. This this uh the authors in this paper said that, you know, it could mean that more sexually active students have higher social status, which is like yeah what you might think initially. Or that popular students feel pressured to report that they have that they are sexually active. And that report part is very Come critical. Come on, easy. Here. A. Yeah. Is very critical here because um i was like all of this is self-report actually yeah um, all of it. and so how you know we we've just watched a movie where someone's lying about that um because yeah. it gives them social currency and because it makes them feel socially dominant at least at first um and so how reliable are any of these like measures you know yeah which is a whole other thing that i just was thinking about but um
0: yeah it's so interesting too and just like the the ways in which this is like impacting these 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 girls, right is so deep, it's so profound. One of the things you you mentioned the um, the maturity gap, mm-hmm. and this is I'm fully this is a study from years ago, and I'm sure I'm not perfectly getting these numbers, right? Uh, but there was a study years ago that said like the average age of uh, for boys for their first like masturbatory and orgasmic uh behaviors is 13 and their average like first sexual experience is um, 17 mm-hmm. uh, with a partner. Uh, first sexual experience with a partner uh, is 17. and then for uh, girls, their first sexual experience is uh, averages in around 15. And their average first masturbatory or orgasmic ex- experience happens at 19.
2: And I think that's and generous.
0: So, yeah. <laughs> the, and this was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so this um, this is essentially saying that, like, at, you know, when boys enter their first sexual experience, they have four years of self-play and self-exploration. Exploration, yeah. Uh, and when girls and now, and then, you know, women uh, as the... Uh, you know, age curve sort of flips in there. But as girls, they tend to have their first sexual experience four years or three years, like, prior to their first masturbatory exploration and their first sort of, like, orgasmic experience, um, which is rough.
2: Yeah, I mean, it goes to, like, sexual objectification of girls in which they are objects to be used by men uh, Mm -hmm. and not empowered to... uh, You know, uh, have sexuality themselves, and so they are first used as objects before anyone thinks to, uh, you know, ask them what they want or for. for They even have the self awareness to like think about that. Right,
0: Um, sex is something for men to want and women to withhold. Exactly. Uh, Women, men want sex, and women have sex, and so it's this sort of like hunter animal kind of gross. Vibe. so
2: that leads me into this other thing talking about gross vibes um so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> going into google scholar to look at um adolescent female sexuality is what i typed in and i found you know a lot of these like interesting
0: good thing you're typing that into google, google scholar. scholar oh no no there no, are yes. other google searches that could really not go <laughs> yeah.
2: great Just careful to do that um you know, I got a lot of the papers that I was talking about, about, like, you know, empirical studies done in schools. Um, mm-hmm. But I did come across, and I mean, there's also lots of theoretical papers, too. But I did come across one that seemed just so biased um, mm-hmm. by the male <laughs> first author that wrote it. What? Um, I, I was Something like,
0: scholarly that's biased been written by a man? I, lit- I don't believe you. I mean,
2: I'm going to just talk about the part that I think has any uh, room for discussion because so much right. of it was just hilarious like it's it's really about um like female the, the suppression of female sexuality and the right. the entire history of that and the phenomena phenomenon of that suppression right and why right. why that suppression exists um to to your point exactly right why are women being used for sex before they are uh, empowered to have sex right right um and so this guy looked at um, several different theories about... Really, like, who's gatekeeping female sexuality, right? Is it men? Um, and what... Prudes! What <laughs> I'm going to just read what, like, verbatim, what uh, is their uh, conclusion. It is the view that men suppress female sexuality received hardly any support, and it's flatly contradicted by some findings. Instead... The evidence favors the view that women have worked to stifle each other's sexuality because sex is a limited resource that women use to negotiate with men, and scarcity gives women an advantage.
0: This is the most incel nightmarish Yeah. Uh, BS.
2: But it, it did like kind of put me down a rabbit hole of like evolutionarily evolutionary advantages um, of sex because you know this women are having babies and the ones that are you know these gatekeepers and even in animal behavior you have um like men are doing kind of the the wooing right they are trying to gain the favor of female uh, animals to like uh uh you know propagate their species so i was trying to think about some evolutionary angle where this makes sense and isn't just like hugely offensive (laughs) or at least like I mean this is so uh weaved into the patriarchy that's like very hard to disentangle
0: well I mean there is sort of a weird thing in which like women you know every woman who gets pregnant that's not every woman who has a baby uh is a parent Mm -hmm. but not every man who has sex becomes a parent. Mm -hmm. And not every man who has sex with a woman who has a baby becomes a parent. Mm -hmm. So in that sort of evolutionary view, like women hold the power of... And again, this is incredibly limited to like, uh, you know, infertility issues and all of those different things. Right. So like, and and again, I'm not using, um, there are lots of people who are parents who didn't have babies, but right. you, you know, evolutionarily, biologically, these sort of very limited definitions and the very limited language that we have to use them. Right. So there, there's that, I suppose. Uh, although in a way, like it is animal and human nature for men to be competing for access to women.
2: Yeah. So it's it's an interesting angle to kind of say, you know, sex is a limited resource that women are gatekeeping because they are using that to negotiate with men. So they are stifling each other. It's not the men who are, you know, competing for these these resources.
0: I mean, please. Yeah. If that were true then the term ran through wouldn't exist.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, a
0: woman did not come up with ran through.
2: <laughs> I this is just the part of this paper that I could even wrap my head around and have a thought no. about cuz the rest of it was just so ridiculous. I don't think so you
0: ridiculous. need to Your thoughts are precious, Joanna. <laughs> I don't think you need to spend them on this.
2: Yeah. Well this is I mean this is a peer reviewed paper. This is evidence that like this is this is 2002. This isn't the 70s either. Um
0: I mean 2002 kind of was the 70s. <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean certainly. But you know there there is the suppression of female sexuality and yeah. this guy was on a mission to figure it out and it's not his fault.
0: It's not his fault that he's not getting laid. <laughs> um So the, the other thing that I looked at was actually, um, I, I really, as I was watching this movie, I got like a, like I kept getting flashes of the term nymphomaniac, Mm -hmm. right. And like this sort of historical concept that is like a nymphomaniac, which, um, I'm sure most of our audience has heard this term before. Uh, so nymphomania is a very old school term that dates back to the 1800s. Um, that was used at the time to describe women who were, like, insatiably sexual. Specifically um, for women. Specifically for women. There's actually, uh, I'm so glad you you named that, there's actually a separate term for male uh, hypersexuality, which was um, satyriasis, as in, like, a horny satyr. Like, old school Greek. So, well, and also, like, a nymph and a satyr are old, like, Greek mythological oh. creatures. So nymphomania and satoriasis.
2: Which which uh, one of those terms took off, J.D.? Which one? It's
0: weird, right? Which one of those? Um I, I know most of our audience is like satoriasis. Yeah, That's what obviously. I've always been saying. Uh yeah, satoriasis. It's just rolls off the it's tongue, cir- too.
2: Psoriasis, but a little bit. Psoriasis
0: and cirrhosis. <laughs> um, so yeah, so this like weird thing of like hypersexuality, which of course Emma Stone in this movie is not. A nymphomaniac. She sort of is portraying one though. Oh
2: yeah.
0: Um so nymphomania, for those listening, is not in the DSM. This is not a term that we use. Uh it is like a very old school, like Freudian nightmare thing that is, of course, led to just describe that a, a woman who is horny is mentally ill. Mm. Right? Like a woman a woman who wants it, she's sick. Yeah. Yuck, right? Ew. <laughs> Ew! Uh, she's you better stop. You're being gross. Uh, so she, um, so one of the things I think about a lot, particularly as a queer psychologist and doing research, uh, but or, or doing therapy a lot within the queer community, and when I do talks to other people on like how to be a good like queer affirming therapist, is like another of course population that has like this hypersexual um, reputation. Again, don't gasp when I say it: gay men. <laughs> Uh, So one of the things I always like to think about, right, is so this concept, right, the the term as I just sort of named now is actually hypersexuality is a term that we use. Mm -hmm. Um, It is no longer a gendered term. um, But hypersexuality is a symptom. It it can be a symptom of a lot of things. It can be um, a symptom of obsessive compulsive disorder in which you would be using, uh, uh, you know, hypersexuality to, you know, Compensate for these obsessions. So you have these like sexual compulsions. Um, I mean, one of the other terms that is also used is like sexually compulsive, sexually impulsive. Um, There are things like uh, erotomania, um, excessive sexual Mm -hmm. drive, hyperphilia, hypersexuality, hypersexual disorder. Um, So all of these things are a really interesting thing because they get to be determined by the treating clinician. So... A lot of, like, gay men who are um, very sexually active could share the numbers of partners that they're having and then have, uh, a, a, right. you know, a mental health provider, a medical provider uh, diagnose them as hypersexual or as a, having a sex addiction or being sexually compulsive, sexually dependent. And so another thing to really name is that, like, sex addiction is not in...
1: The mm-hmm. DSM, mm-hmm.
0: it is not uh, something that we. It, it hasn't really been substantiated as a true addiction right, in a way relative. that something like gambling actually has. Uh, the like the, the and so, um, you know the thing about like all of this is just like who gets to say, right? Um, and so the, it's all relative. Yeah. It's all and so like for and again it's all incredibly. Um, You know, there are movies like Shame that came out, which, like, maybe one day we'll do Shame, but it's honestly super depressing, and so, like, TBD. But (laughs) Shame, right, where, like, the lowest point is in this movie because he's a sex addict in this movie. The lowest point is when he has sex with men that shows just how depraved Mm -hmm. and shameful... His sex acts are, and desperate these sex acts are. If you didn't listen to Call Me By Your Name, listen to, like, what we talk about in terms of the flexibility of male sexuality. But um, And so I think it's really interesting, Joe, just to think about, like, the ways in which the lens of what we even consider hypersexual is so put on by the... Uh, the 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 lens of whoever's viewing it rather than the necessarily right. the lens of who's experiencing it. And I do think, right? Like I have worked with people who have wanted to reduce their sexual activity because it is causing them emotional distress. Uh, but your job in that instance as a provider is to actually listen to like, what are your needs? What are you experiencing? Do you feel that you don't have control over the amount of sex that you're seeking? Do you feel like it's getting in the way of your normal life? Do you feel like it is impacting you negatively? Are you having sex with inappropriate partners? And by inappropriate partners, I mean, are Mm -hmm. you sleeping with your best friend's Mm -hmm. husband, right? Are you blowing up your relationships in order to seek sexual validation, right? That is often a symptom of lots of other things, right? Bipolar disorder, if somebody is manic, they may be engaging in hypersexuality. Um, The impulsivity and the sort of compulsive nature of this could also be something like borderline personality disorder, where the emotional connection is felt so intensely that the choice to sort of forego the um, consequences or not, not forego the consideration of the consequences and engage in the behavior, right? But all of this, again, is sort of a symptom of, these other things, and I just think it's yeah.
2: So this is not a discrete uh, disorder, you know, a discrete phenomenon, right. right? They're usually related to or caused by exactly uh, things that are related to different exactly.
0: And there are there are um, you know there are organizations like Sex Addicts Anonymous, like sex addiction in sort of this viewpoint. Some who do feel that they really have lost control of their ability to. Um, restrict themselves from having sex or to not seek sex um, is real. Um, There's also a gross history of something called paraphilias. Are are you familiar with this term? No, no. So paraphilias, which are diagnostic, um, are these different things that other people have decided are inappropriate uh, sex things. So some of them, like I, the old school, like DSM four uh, revised. I, I don't know if it's in DSM five to be honest, because I it's I find these to be so like irrelevant. Um, is something mm-hmm. like frauderism? So like the 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 sexual desire to just sort of rub up against a person um, in a sensual sexual way until hypothetically you you achieve orgasm, right? Is in the DSM four at least as like a a paraphilia, which means it's a disorder, right? Where it's like Okay, if you're doing this on people who are unwilling, right. that is, sure. Um, right. But it's one of those things where a lot of these different things, fetishes, uh, essentially become these weirdly um, pathologized kinds of things. And so the way in which, like, historically psychology has looked at sex is from such, like, a deeply heteronormative, missionary boring sexual view where like there are all these ways in which you could seek out these quote like disordered sexual behaviors that are a of all not harming you and b of Mm -hmm. all not harming others and this is not to um not to give like a free pass to uh you know pedophilia to give a free pass to um these fetishes that involve harm toward other people that is not to say so right i do think there is something disordered when something you are doing results in harm toward yourself or
2: others. I mean that's kind of to me the only exactly criteria, right? That's all that matters. Exactly. Like, if you and we talked about this before too, right? Is it trauma if you don't see it as trauma? Exactly,
0: right? So is if this is consensual, is it disordered? I don't think so. Um yeah. I think there are lots of people uh that have hundreds or thousands of sex partners in their past that I don't think have a disorder they have the opportunity sure and they choose to engage in it
2: sure if, if they're not bothered by it you know I mean but this also like who are the gatekeepers of um, what it means to be have a mental disorder or have you know psychological disorder us um, it's us traditionally traditionally uh, thankfully it's not it's moving away from that but traditionally it's straight white men yeah right Christian um, but this straight is, white Christian just, men Exactly. Which is obviously the, same thing. the morality of this is right, yeah. It's, it's based off of a very specific type of morality, but it's also the same thing in you know allopathic medicine, traditional like Western medicine Come on right? allopathic And, not, and, not, and not, not even just these are the gatekeepers, but the science with which this is based on the prototypical patient is a straight white Christian Yeah.
0: So anybody who is existing outside of this needs to be seen as sick exactly which let's be real like the way in which to to describe this as sickness which we don't even use that mm-hmm. much right like when have we even referred to any mental like uh, mental illness that we've talked about in the in our you know two months of this podcast we really haven't used the word sick before right this right. is where people see these behaviors as sick yep because that is why I mean Sick not to name. even
2: <laughs> not not to even you know the cultural context just to name that again of like this is very true in It's very puritanical. The United states because of the way in which this country was founded, right? In right. puritanical ideal. Right. This looks completely different in other societies, and other cultures. Um, you know, one way or the other, more conservative or or less conservative, but it's completely dependent on that cultural context totally. as well.
0: Totally. Totally. What a good time! We did it. So we have. We did it. So we've we've wrapped up on this, and good news!
2: Pow, 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 pow.
0: <laughs> New segment alert.
2: But wait, there's more. But wait,
0: there's more. So we uh, have been getting some amazing uh, thoughts, feelings, reactions, uh, and we want to start to open that up to include that in our podcast. Yeah. Uh,
2: we need other voices besides. Exactly. Using mine. And
0: especially with some of our podcasts where Joanna and I may be a little biased <laughs> in our opinions.
2: Let's, uh, let's name the movies that we've chosen that we hate.
0: Uh, we, can anyone, can anyone I don't know, think? Like, we... <laughs> so we have some like strong feelings really... <laughs> about certain movies, such as The Fast and the Furious. Mm hmm. Uh, you may have listened last week or to now two weeks and heard um, we actually I think came out on the con for the Big Lebowski.
2: <laughs> I think the Big Lebowski was worse than Fast. And the we Furious. were
0: mad. The Fast we and the Furious. We were like, all right, let's dig in.
2: Yeah, like it's it's fun. The
0: The Fast and the Furious. It's like our attitude was like,
2: why? Let's learn
0: why. <laughs> and for the the Big Lebowski, our attitude was like, ugh, why? Uh, <laughs>
2: Exactly. And you know, I uh we we're not perfect.
0: <laughs> no, we are not perfect.
2: So yeah. within this,
0: um, I will say we did get several like texts. We got some DMs on our Instagram, which is a great place to do it at Real Psych, uh, of people saying, like, hey, I love this movie and let me say why <laughs> yeah. I love this movie. A lot of people right. loved that movie because they actually felt like it was the straight white male view that's sort of an anti masculinism in the in like the ways yeah. that he represents things. But Mm -hmm. Um, what we do, we actually have from our DMs a voice memo and we want to include that to start to include people's voices. So, uh, let's play that right now, have a little chat and then we'll finish up. Yay.
1: But no, I think you are correct. And also I, um, we had like a limited number of movies at my school in India and the Big Lebowski was one of them. And of course it was inflicted upon me by the straights that I was with, the fucking straight men. And I, it very much is like a fever dream, like a nightmarish fever dream of toxic masculinity. And I didn't understand that when I was younger, but I always was like, this should be like, it's silly. It's about bowling. Everybody's ridiculous. Like this should be a fun time. And I always hated it. And it's because, yeah, it's like dudes, like taking the worst and most like self-absorbed look at what it is to be a man. And we just all have to like, look, like do that in private. Like, don't that's private. Like that's something you should do in your own time. Like, don't make me watch it. And then also see dudes wandering around in fucking bathrobes and boxers. Like that doesn't make you chill. That makes you depressed. And you should do something.
0: Yes. Uh so obviously she agrees with us. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I I uh I
2: hadn't heard that before and I I was the way you were setting it up, I thought it was gonna be an <laughs> an alternative viewpoint, but it was It's not. just the
0: audio message that we had this week. So uh while future ones could be counterpoints, I just thought this is exactly right.
2: Uh yeah. and, and some great points. I mean, that we but missed. it's not for us. It is not it's for us. It's not for us. us. That's where we landed last time. That's I that's still where we that stand. Way. And
0: this, uh, this supporter, um, <laughs> I think, just us. This agreeer of us. us. <laughs> of us. Uh, I just love like the point being made, where it's like, no, yeah. figure this out elsewhere. Do this on your own time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Uh, So if you have thoughts on this one, or even maybe for the next few weeks, just any of the episodes that we've done, and you want to give us some feedback. um, We want to hear it. We want to hear it. So send an audio message to at Real Psych, and you might get featured on an upcoming ep of the pod. Yeah, do it. Do it. Well, I have been Dr. J.D. Barton.
2: And I have been Dr. Joanna Whitkin. And
0: this has been another episode of Real Psych.
2: Another perfect episode. Unbelievable. (laughs)
0: Uh, And so we uh, would love for you to subscribe, to rate, review, Follow follow us at Real Psych on Instagram. And please, please, please tell a friend. We are doing so well. We're so excited to have so many of you listening and on this journey. Thousands of you are out there listening to us, and we're so grateful. And we will see you next week. Next week.
1: Bye. Catch those springtime vibes all
0: over Arizona.